Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey. Hey, guys. Real. Hey, guys. Real quick before uh, this week's episode, just wanted to make a note that Cole and I recorded this uh, before the news of Matt Quattraro being hired by the Royals, before the report that Charlie Montoya is headed to the White Sox as a bench coach, and, and obviously before games two and three of the World Series played out. So lots of great information in here, but we kind of speculate that Matt Quattraro might end up getting a job. He did, uh, and so we did not discuss uh, some of the moves that have happened since we recorded this, including Cotraro and and Charlie Montoya. So hopefully by the time we record next, we'll have some news on how, as how the Rays plan on uh, shifting around their coaching staff with their bench coach leaving. Um, but other than that, enjoy the rest of the episode. Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and the World Series is underway, tied 1-1 after two games in Houston. The Phillies had a great five-run comeback to win 6-5 in Game 1. Astros, though, did take care of business with a 5-2 victory in Game 2. Uh, so that means we're getting closer to the offseason. Uh, by the end of next week, and we should know who the world champion for the year 2022 is. And that means the fun of the offseason starts. And if you've been following DRaceBay.com since the end of that disappointing wildcard round, you probably would have seen Cole Mitchum's article on the Rays 40-man roster and some of the challenges they face heading into the offseason with a number of guys on the 60-day injured list and a number of guys they would like to add to the 40-man before the Rule 5 deadline. So to talk about that article and all the Rays news over the last week, because there has been some, it's Cole Mitchum at Rays Metrics on Twitter, as most of you may know him. Uh, but I think now that you've been with D Rays Bay long enough, like we, we we know your true identity. I think most people know you by Cole now, especially if you're a reader of the site or a listener of this podcast. So Cole, what's going on, man? Nothing much. Nothing much. Just um, you know, taking in these last couple of World Series games. It's it's been a really good start to the series. I'm glad that uh somebody finally took down the Astros. <laughs> I was for, for one little, game. Do you think right, they have a chance one game. to actually win the series? I was getting a little nervous. They were uh, sweep the whole postseason. That would have been no fun. But yeah, it's now tied up going into Philly. So it's been an exciting week for sure. My, my take on it is if if Wheeler and Nola like couldn't prevent runs, I don't think there's. And again, they were able to scrape by in in, in game one. They used a lot of their bullpen, and now their bullpen has a chance to rest up today before. Uh, game three tomorrow, but this, uh, it just doesn't feel like, like they might force a game six or even a game seven, but I don't think they'll be able to outlast this Houston team. Yeah. Houston is, Houston is just so deep in every area of their, of their team. And I, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I believe the Phillies came out with a report that Noah Syndergaard is starting game three. That just kind of makes me nervous hearing that. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. They'll they'll probably have a little short leash with him, maybe one time through the order or something. But still, any any times through that Astros order, that's a scary journey. I think though, game one when when the Phillies had a chance to come back and they started to get those those runs back, uh, it was smart though. Rob Thompson, the I guess he's not the interim manager anymore. I think he's been named the manager. Um, just you know, used everyone in his bullpen, and even though it hurt them in game two for sure. Uh, he he knew. Actually, I think the bullpen still did fine in game two. It was it was Wheeler who mm-hmm. gave up the runs, uh, but he, he he had to go for that that game one win. That was going to be so important if they if they wanted a chance to win this series. And hey, now they they get three games at home, and it's you know they have home field advantage now. It's it's mm-hmm. a best of five, and it's and it's three games in Philly and two games in Houston, and it's going to be really interesting to see um, how the rest of that series plays out. But let's bring it back home. Uh, to the Rays, and, and even though we're not fully into the offseason, Major League Baseball is still going on, there has been some Rays news. Uh, the first thing I want to touch on is Rob Metzler heading to the Detroit Tigers as as an assistant GM. He was the director of amateur scouting for the Rays uh, for, for a while now, uh, but really his main role was to to run the, the, the draft. He was the guy that ran point for the Rays on the draft, and while I'm sure – Guys like Eric Neander and, and Peter Bendix and the rest of the front office, it was a full you know, team approach. It was my understanding that Rob Metzler was kind of given free free reign on the draft. And maybe there was other input on, on big picks, but that was kind of, of his thing. And now the Rays, you know, they replaced him with, with Chuck R- Ricky or R- Richie. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that one. Um, He's been with the, t- the the organization for a while. He's a national cross checker. He steps into that role, so it's an internal promotion for him. And Cole, uh, I mean, first, uh, were you were you a fan of of Metzler's drafting? I know the baseball draft is is so different from from all the other you know big sports in this country. But are you, are you worried at all that the Rays their their draft mindset or their draft strategy is going to to change a lot? Now that Metzler is gone, I'm I'm not particularly worried. I mean, we've seen many executives been poached from this Rays organization over the last few years. It seems like it happens every offseason. Um, you know, whether that's on-field coaches or um, front office personnel. You know, they're kind of getting spread out all around the league these days. And um, and yeah, the Rays just kind of continue to churn out good talent. Um, they're they're making good decisions transactionally and in the draft. So. You know, of course, you know, you're happy for, for Rob Metzler to, to get that promotion and to go, um, you know, step in as the assistant GM in a new organization. Um, but, you know, I think that they'll probably just pick up right where they left off and um, continue to uh, to run the show. You know, one thing I'll, I'll note here, though, is the last two drafts um, in particular, the 2022 draft and the 2021 draft, the Rays had a very similar strategy in both drafts as far as um, – positionally and, and kind of the demographic of talent goes. So what they've been doing is they've been really hitter heavy um, in the early rounds and really pitcher heavy in the late rounds in these past two drafts. Like um, in 2022, six of their first seven picks were hitters. And in 2021, all six of their first six picks uh, were hitters. Um, and then after that, it, there was only like a one other one or two other hitters picked in, in the late round. So they were just super hitter heavy early, super pitcher heavy late. That'll be kind of a trend one that I'll be looking to kind of see how that works out for them, how these two classes progress. Uh, we already have some pretty good um, 
um, kind of rewards on the first draft class, 2021. There's been a lot of success in that class so far. Um, but yeah, as these guys progress, we'll see how that strategy worked out. And then we'll also see if that kind of changes moving into the next few years um, under new leadership. For sure. And I, and I want to take this kind of bigger, bigger picture. I did get a comment. So I had Darby Robinson on the podcast last week and on the, on the write-up on the site, uh, one of the users raising hell, another raise pun on there, um, you know, brought up, I, I think a good point. I think a fair point. Uh, the, the fact that the Rays haven't really had any homegrown, developed players on the position player side of things that can hit really well. I, I mean, I think the last one that has has now proven themselves at the big league level as a hitter is Brandon Lau. Uh, you look at the other. I'm looking on roster resource right now, and obviously, not every team in baseball is filled with guys that they drafted. Um, out of, out of the uh, you know, and, and brought up through their farm system. So you have Brandon Lau, you have Taylor Walls, who was drafted. Obviously, the, the the what we've seen so far, not a very good big league hitter. Uh, and you look down, uh, you know, you have Kevin Kiermeyer, who for big stretches of career was right around league average or a hair under league average, uh, but now he'll be a free agent and probably not coming back to the Rays. I mean, he was drafted way back in, in 2010, right? So like a completely different regime um or has Mets or maybe that's why in these last two years there's been more of a focus to draft higher volume of hitters you look at the first round pick Xavier Isaac I've been on the record as not being a super huge fan of that pick in the first round but at the end of the day if we're going to have this referendum on the Rays offense and how the Rays perform at the plate Maybe a good strategy is to just throw numbers at the problem, draft these guys like Xavier Isaac. Yes, he looks like he's a first baseman slash DH right now, but if he can hit his ceiling offensively at the plate, like it doesn't really matter. You look at a guy, and, and, and I'm not comparing Xavier Isaac to Jordan Alvarez, but the Astros went after a guy like Alvarez who doesn't really have a spot on the field. Yes, you can put him in left field, but he's really a designated hitter. But if you can hit well enough, Bryce Harper, another guy in the World Series, has has been the DH for the Phillies this year for for injuries more more so than any other reason. Um, but you you do need to hit, and I I always maybe I'm guilty of always looking for the shortstops and the center fielders that you can plug in at different positions, and you just hope they can hit. But at the end of the day, you got to score runs. Um, so maybe that's been an effort. Um, but Cole, do you have any like? larger concerns about how the Rays have developed hitters because they have traded a few other big league caliber hitters, Jake Cronenworth, Nate Lowe, a couple other guys that, that are, you know, you know, everyday players in other organizations. Hmm. Yeah, th those are good points. Um, you know, at, at first I, I'll say that I do think I agree with kind of your, the, the general philosophy you were talking about there. Um, and I think it, it's not, it's it's like no surprise to say that the Rays probably feel better about their ability to develop pitching than hitting. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of a lot of organizations may may be the same at this point. Um, but maybe maybe the kind of thinking, in, at least in the draft goes, is obviously in the in the first rounds in the draft, the better talent is just available. That's just a, a truth. And you know maybe they want to you know really hone in and dive on you know jump on these high these talented athletic hitters when they're still out there and they feel good about their ability to develop these pitchers in the late rounds. They say, oh, this guy, you know, we like his mechanics here, we like these qualities of his different pitches and this, we can get him in the twelfth round, great. But for hitting, 
you know, I think that maybe they just aren't quite as confident in developing like late round um, hitters, finding these gems, because you are right, there hasn't been really a, a ton of, um, you know, guys that have come to fruition uh, lately, um, you know, from this, this the, at least the homegrown guys who have been called up to the big leagues, their, their roster is mostly built off of players they traded for. Um, but, you know, they, they have definitely had seen their success stories with guys they've brought in over the years. Um, just just recently this past season, um, their two main hitter acquisitions right before the season started were Isak Paredes and Harold Ramirez. Both of them came in and I think performed better than any any of us would have really expected um, and better than their career lines before the season, too. So, I mean, it's not like they're, they're lost. And just because they don't have many homegrown hitters on their roster doesn't mean they aren't necessarily good at it. I think that maybe it's just a little bit behind um, their development trends of, uh, of pitching at this point. I think there's a number of different examples of this now. The Rays are good at, or they have been good in the last couple of years, at finding guys who haven't had short stints in the big leagues or maybe inconsistent playing time at the big league level, but they see something, or at least I think they see something, because these guys have now come to the Rays and had success. You look at Yandy Diaz, right, in, in their, their pursuit of him when he was in Cleveland. You look at Randy Arozarena who had a little bit of time in the big leagues, but more time at AAA, they go out and they trade a first-round pick to get Randy Rosarena. Uh, Manuel Margot was not like a consistent everyday player. Now I think the, you know Rays fans are pretty comfortable having him in the outfield almost every day. Harold Ramirez, G-Man Troy, when they traded for him, they traded Brad Miller. They, they fought Christian Bethencourt, a guy who played in, in Korea and then with Oakland. Like They're finding some of these guys who, they, Isak Paredes, um, have had a cup of coffee or have had stints that maybe they haven't performed as to expectations and other organizations, the race sees something where you bring them to the trap you, you, you work with. So I don't think there's like a, a, a problem identifying hitting talent, but maybe there is an issue at some point, you know, along the, the development that these guys aren't getting any better. Cause you look at some of the other players who the Rays drafted, um, in recent years, Greg Jones is another one. Very fast, very good defensively. You can play him. It sounds like he's really going to be a center fielder, I think, moving forward. But he strikes out a ton. Uh, Xavier Edwards, I don't think there's a lot of confidence in him being an everyday big league hitter type player in the next year or two. Um, you look at the struggles that Taylor Walls and Vidal Brujan had. Like, so they have, uh, in terms of just hitting, not an overall the overall package, the hit rate hasn't been very high on those. Like you're not getting guy like Brandon Lau is your last one that came up, but he he came up in 2018. Like it, it's been a few years now since the race. I've seen someone that they drafted and developed or even someone that they signed other than Wander Franco, like signed as an international free agent, uh, come up and, and perform at, at, a, at a high level in the big leagues. And I think that is a concern. We, we know it's, it's great on the pitching side. There's always going to be a new pitcher that comes up and does really, really well. The Rays have been good at that for 15 years now. Um, so I think there's a concern. I, I really like, and like, I like that comment. I think sometimes we aren't, uh, maybe we aren't as critical as we should be of the Rays front office and the Rays, you know, how they, how they do things. They've been very successful. They made the postseason for a fourth straight year. Um, but they were a league average team at the plate. And if you want to compete for championships every year, which the Rays do, that's not good enough. Um, so, yeah, I think there is concern there. Maybe 
some of these guys that were drafted. Uh, I know Carson Williams has has been showing, you know, has been doing really well. Maybe Xavier Isaac in his first season of pro ball really shows out. Cooper Kenny, Kyle Manzardo. Maybe this investment in in position players in the draft as Rob Metzler's parting gift to the Rays will pay off. Um, but now there's someone new in there, and uh, I, I, he was a national cross-checker, so I don't really have any insight into what he's going to bring into this role, and maybe there's a chance that he doesn't get free reign in the draft right away like Metzler had. Maybe you know the first couple years it's him and Peter Bendix that are running the draft or him and Eric Neander that are running the draft. I don't really know what it looks like in that war room when you're on the clock and it's time to make a pick, but um, it's an interesting discussion. I think it's going to be interesting to look at moving forward, how the Rays strategy in the draft changes. If if it does, it, it might stay the exact same. Yeah. Yep. I, I agree with everything you just said. I think it's, it is fair to, to be critical of um, some of the guys they brought up, some of the guys they picked in recent drafts. Um, and yeah, it is, it is definitely true for an organization that's seen so much success over the last few years and is, is really getting so much out of such little resources. Um, it is kind of a, maybe a little bit of a blind spot um, to where it just kind of really aren't, aren't pumping out hitters um, as often as some of these other clubs you see around the league are. Well, while we're talking about this, like I'm going to look at the Astros. So they have out of, out of guys they drafted in their lineup in their starting lineup, they've got four Jeremy Pena, um, who has a rookie looks like he, he's going to be very good and probably stay in that lineup for, for the next few years. Alex Bregman, been a smashing success, of course. Uh, Kyle Tucker, another great hitter as well. He, he had a, a great game one. Um, you look at Chaz McCormick was drafted there, not really known for his hitting ability. Uh, but they do have, you know, three really good big league players right now that, that were drafted and brought up. Jose Altuve was someone they signed back in 2007. So that feels like, a, you know, it's owned like <laughs> that was 15 years ago now. Um, and, and you can look at, I guess we can pull up the, the Phillies now, too, who are representing the, the National League. Reese Hoskins, Alec Bohm, Bryson Stott, um, position players that have come up. And then they add to that the free agents, Harper, Schwarber, Castellanos to Brandon Marsh to make a, a, a World Series caliber team. And, and there's been time where, the you know, there's been time. Look at, look, you look at the 2008 team, right? You had a lot of. Of, of homegrown talent, your BJ Uptons, your Evan Longoria's on that team that were aided by the, the Carlos Pena's and uh, the Jason Bartlett's that you brought in to solidify that roster. So I don't know. I think I'd, I'd just like to see, yeah, the Rays hit on a few more prospects. They tried this year and development isn't linear. Maybe Taylor Walls becomes that this coming season. Maybe Vidal Brujan finally gets a, you know, a consistent run of playing time and jo- or Josh Lowe and they become those, those, big league level hitters. We shall see. Um, Cole, the other potential change to the, to the coaching staff uh, is, is Matt Quattraro. He's been a managerial candidate for the last couple off seasons. Sounds like if he's going to, he didn't get the Marlins job. That went to skip Schumacher. Sounds like he might have a chance at the, the Kansas city job. Now I would be lying if I said, I knew exactly what the role of the bench coach is other than to maybe just be Kevin Cash's sounding board and, and, and second-in-command right-hand man. He gets to take over if Cash is ejected. But what would you anticipate? Could you see someone currently on staff taking that role or maybe the Rays bring someone 
from the outside in to to be the bench coach if Quattraro does uh, become a manager? Yeah, I think that um, when the Rays, the Rays have definitely been forced to fill these roles a lot lately, like we were talking about. And I think what they normally tend to do is kind of just promote from within. Um, it seems to me that they really believe in the guys and the, and the staff that they have there. So I, I could definitely see somebody um, maybe like Rodney Linares, um, who's currently uh, coaching third base, potentially stepping into that, that bench coach role. Um, they definitely like to reward um, the staff that they have there and, you know, I think it, I think they believe in them and it, it definitely has worked over the past few years. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it definitely wouldn't shock me if, if Quattraro eventually leaves. His names are, uh, his name is in managerial uh, candidate rumors every single offseason, it seems like. Um, I believe there's two openings still out there right now, the, the Royals and the White Sox. Um, I think the rest of them have been filled. Um, so yeah, I, I know he's interviewed with the Royals. Um, I'm not sure if I've seen that been reported with the White Sox, but wouldn't shock me if they've looked into him as well. Um, so yeah, I think that at this point, it's probably only a matter of time before someone gives him a shot. And, um, uh, I'm sure the Rays are thinking about it and, and have got a plan kind of in place in case it happens. Lenaris, it wouldn't shock me to see Lenaris, like you said, move into that role, um, one, I don't know how great he was as the third base coach this year. Uh, you know, it's it's. I, I don't. I'm not here to like say that. I know he did a terrible job as the third base coach. Sometimes you make the wrong calls. Sometimes um, maybe the, the you're he's told to let's let's be aggressive on the base pass. Maybe that's the organizational strategy. And so anytime he you know you can stretch a, a double into a triple or have a guy try to score from first. He'll wave that arm and and he'll send it. If they're out, they're out. Uh, but there there were a lot of outs on the base pass this year. I think Lenaris is probably responsible for for a chunk of them. Uh, but he's obviously very well respected in the industry as a coach. And I think he's going to be another guy that within the next two three years is going to be heavily looked at, if not hired, as a manager. He's already going to be the manager for the Dominican Republic at the World Baseball Classic, which is shaping up to, and I can't wait to, to for that, because it's shaping up to to be the most stacked in terms of talent World Baseball Classic ever. It seems like for position players, I mean, everybody's in. Like, it, it seems like almost everybody is, has agreed that that would make these teams to play. And we, Randy Rosarena, Isak Paredes are going to play for, for Mexico. There's going to be a ton of race connections um, in this World Baseball Classic, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, so it wouldn't shock me to see Lenaris go up to bench coach, you know, stay in that role for a year or two, and then go off and, and, and get a, a big league job. Uh, maybe he goes back to the Astros organization when Dusty Baker retires. To take, like, I don't, I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, the other one, though, if, if you want to go back to Kevin Cash's former bench coach, would be Charlie Montoya, who was fired from the Blue Jays this year. Uh, it, it just never really worked out for him there. It, just, it seemed like more of a culture thing, uh, but you're talking about somebody who was with the Rays organization from day one before he left for the Blue Jays. And I'd love to see him back in the organization. Maybe he's going to look for another job. Maybe he doesn't want to come back to a job he was in for for a long time. Uh, but I'd love to see him back. Or maybe you know, Lonara slides in the bench coach and Montoya comes back and is the third base coach again. I don't know, um, but if there is some shakeups, and, and, and Mark Topkin kind of alluded to, he said if Quattrara were to get a job, it would lead to like a kind of like a domino effect of moves in the Rays coaching staff, 
which leads me to believe he's got some in, inside information to what their plan is. Because I'm sure the Rays have a plan. That they, they, it's obviously very clear that Quattro is, you know, a finalist for for multiple jobs. I'm sure there's a plan in place. Um, and, and so yeah, I think I'm, I'm probably I, I'm expecting Lenaris to, to. And that's not any information that I have. Um, that seems like the natural progression of things. If uh, if Q does in fact leave, so we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to talk about the Rays' uh, lone nominee for any of the postseason awards thus far. It's Randy Rosarena, who was nominated for the second straight year as a Silver Slugger in the American League. So stay right there. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back on Raise Your Voice here with Colt Mitchum. Colt, Randy Rosarena for another year has been nominated for an American League Silver Slugger Award. Uh, Another really good year at the plate this year for Randy Rosarena. If you look at the big league leaderboard for the last two years, and I'm looking at outfielders with a minimum of 1,000 plate appearances, Randy Randy Rosarena is 14th in the majors for outfielders in wins above replacement with 6.5. After his, 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 obviously his, ALCS MVP campaign in 2020 in that postseason put up a rookie of the year season in 2021 kind of solidified that he is very good this past season in 2022. Uh, maybe the base running needs a little bit of work, but everything else, you know, he, he has proven himself and he's found himself as a silver slugger finalist. Now odds of him uh, actually winning one of the three silver sluggers for the outfield probably pretty slim though right yeah it looks that way um so there were 10 finalists uh, who were announced uh last week and i think we can just go ahead and right off the bat say that aaron judge will get one of the three spots I imagine. um so there's really kind of only two that are up for grabs um and you know you've got guys such as julio rodriguez kyle tucker mike trout George Springer, you know, it's a deep, it's a deep crop of guys in the American League outfield. So who knows, um, you know, they, sometimes these awards, uh, they're voted on by, I think, a combination of uh, players, coaches, and, um, and, and the committee. So um, sometimes things can get a little bit weird with the gold glove voting and the silver slugger voting. So, um, you know, maybe he's got an outside shot, but, you know, regardless, it's, it's cool to see him, um, you know, really be recognized as a, as pretty much a star or at least, or at least close to it for the, uh, for the Rays here. So if you're looking at qualified outfielders um, in the American league this year, judge, obviously 207 WRC plus then Julio Rodriguez, 146, then Taylor Ward, 137. Mike Trout would be up there too. He didn't finish as a qualifier with the injuries. Now, obviously he's still eligible to win this award. He's a finalist. I think you'll see uh, Mike Trout on there. Like, it wouldn't shock me to see Judge Rodriguez Trout. Maybe Kyle Tucker gets in there over Rodriguez. Um, he's got more home runs, more RBI. Now, WRC Plus says that Rodriguez had a better offensive season. 
Uh, but basically, Rosarena is behind all of those guys, including you know George Springer and Teoscar Hernandez. So the, the only way I could see Rosarena getting in, I mean, there's really no way because Judge is the shoe in. And if you want to look at, and it's, it's supposed to be Silver Slugger, so you're not really looking at base running. Rosarena did steal 32 bases, but Julio Rodriguez stole 25. Kyle Tucker stole 25. Uh, they they both had better hitting seasons. There's just not a path to victory here for Randy Rosarena, but that's fine. I think being nominated, being there again this year is kind of you know that that the justification enough of of the work he's put in as a Ray. Now we are waiting to see. He's got four years of control left, even though he's going to be in his aged what 28th season next year. Um, no extension. I'm I'm really not expecting an extension uh, with him being a Scott Boris client and having so many years left. With that being said, he is potentially Super 2 eligible, which would mean he would start his arbitration this year and then have three more years of arbitration following this. Uh, MLB trade rumors had him projected around $4 million if he were to be arbitration eligible this year. There's been some talk, some some whispers that the Rays, and it's probably not a shocker to anybody, the Rays would be open to trading Randy Rosarena. So, Cole, I, I guess I kind of want to get your thoughts. Are the, are the Rays going to trade Randy this winter? That's a good question. Um, it's definitely worth asking the question. And knowing that how the, the Rays like to operate is, well, we know that they'll they'll listen, right? Um, as as players start to uh, to see their years of control dwindle and their salaries rise, we uh, we know the Rays are not afraid to pull the trigger on a trade if they do in fact get a return that they uh, that they like. So it's going to be interesting to watch. We can make a little bit of a comparison to the Austin Meadows situation last year. Meadows had three years of control remaining. I believe he was also uh, projected to make about $4 million um, in his first year of arbitration. And uh, both of them being corner outfielders, um, the the situations are, they're not exactly the same, but it's sort of uh, kind of in the similar um, direction of things. But one thing I will say is, A, Randy does have that fourth year of control, and B, Randy Rosemarina has has just simply been better. He just has a better track record of kind of being a, a better overall player. And, uh, and more consistent year in and year out. So I don't think that they would they would pull the trigger on a Randy trade if the package looked like something they got for Meadows. Now, Isak Paredes is, looks like a, a very good young player and I'm not knocking that trade in any way, but I think that they would look for more if they if they were going to trade Randy or Rosarena. Um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a dynamic talent with a lot of years of control. I think it's, uh, I think that this is kind of a situation that they were almost in with Blake Snell where I don't think they have to trade him. Like, I don't think they're going to be dying to trade this guy. But if somebody out there kind of meets their price and they also are able to get big league talent as well as prospects in return, kind of like a deep, diverse package, mm-hmm. um, I think I think they're going to consider it because, you know, it's worth noting, like, if Randy Rose is traded or Rosarena is traded, it's not just going to be like for prospects or something. The Rays know they're good now and they're in win now mode. And if you think about all these times that they deal veterans, they usually get a little something for now and a little something for later. Like in the Meadows deal, they got Paredes who could impact the club right away and they got a draft pick, which helps them in the future. You think about the Blake Snell trade, same kind of thing. 
they got big league players, they got prospects. Um, you know, all, all these types of moves, even like a Diego Castillo trade, they got Chagua, who can help them now, and a prospect who can help them later. This is kind of the trend that we've seen from the Rays when they deal off these veterans. So if something like this were to happen, we would be getting some talent um, to inject right into the big league team um, as soon as next year. I feel pretty confident in saying that. I agree. I agree. It just, it doesn't, I don't see a team out there that is going to be willing to pay that price for a guy who is maybe you're paying him four years of arbitration, who knows what an extension looks like because of like, because he was a rookie so late, you know, he's not going to hit free agency until he's like 33, uh, which sucks for him because that's probably, you know, if you were hitting it at age 29 or 30, like, like most guys do, um, the way he's progressing, like he could be in for a, a massive contract. Uh, I just, I, I, it, it doesn't seem likely this winter. Now, if the Rays have a disappointing start, maybe there's some desperate teams out there looking for some outfield bats that go after him in July. Next winter rolls around with three years left of team control. I think the Rays look at that again. Again, because I'm not anticipating a contract extension with the Rose Rain. I don't think the Rays have ever signed a Boris client to a contract extension. You saw Blake Snell switched agents to, you know, he, he became a Boris client. And then like a year later, he was traded. Um, so yeah, again, it wouldn't shock me, right? Because it doesn't shock me if the Rays were to trade any, but like the only untouchable player or players, I think this off season are Franco, Glassnow, and McClanahan. Like those feel like the only untouchables. That that sounds about right to me. Everybody uh, else, I mean, I mean, maybe E. I don't even know if I would say Glass now is truly untouchable. Also, with the extension, like, like I, yeah, that would feel I, very weird. Right, I'm with you. I'm with you. He's he's likely he's like he's probably not going anywhere. But and but Manuel no, Margot right, too. Stands. Yeah, it, yeah, right. Because he got the extension as well. So there there are very few scenarios where yeah, trade could come together for him. Yeah. So, but but you. Your overall point is is right. Like they are going to listen on these guys, um, you know, especially with with the Rosarena kind of as a corner outfield type. Um, you know, we've seen the Rays really commit to like a guy like Kevin Kiermaier, who who's you know provides excellent defense up the middle of the field. Um, they never traded Kevin Kiermaier throughout the entire duration of his contract. But some of these other guys who don't maybe have quite the uh, the athleticism and defensive value, like we know the Rays value defense so much. I think they do kind of err on the on the side that these guys are more expendable. So, um, yeah, I think I'm with you. I think they're going to listen. Um, but at this point, I, I would still call it unlikely. And, I, and I'm with you where I'm kind of struggling to come up with other teams or other scenarios where this would really make sense. Like who is really has the, the financial capacity, has the motivation right They're in win now mode. They're going to be willing to trade both prospects and trade players off their major league roster to get Randy Rosarena. I think you could probably count on one hand the, the amount of teams that really you could even think about to do that. The the team I'm thinking of, and it just there's nobody there that's big league ready that I, I would want is the Angels. Like they have, yeah. If you can plug you know Randy Rosarena as your left fielder into that outfield with Trout and um, Taylor Ward. Yeah, that's great, but like, I mean, I don't want Joe Adele. <laughs> like, right. and it's yeah, it's like, and and do they? 
it's almost like they have too many holes maybe to like commit to one big trade where they, you know, put in all these resources just for one player like that. But like that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like you kind of can just go team by team and you're almost thinking, eh, I don't really know if that makes sense for them. So, so yeah, it'll be interesting. They'll get calls on them for sure, but, but it's kind of like a stars need to align situation, at least in my mind. I guess while you're here and before we go into that, that next segment, I mean, are there, out of the Rays players that we'll say out of the Rays players that performed well last year. So I, I won't even mention G Man Troy. I, I think the consensus is that he's not going to be back. I, like, I don't think he has any trade value. Um, you know, he might just be a non-tender, right. Or a DFA um, out of the guys. So the Rosa arena, Yandy Diaz, and, and I'll throw Brandon Lau into this conversation. You can bring up another name. If, the, if there's one you have in mind, um, who would be out of out of the group of of, of everyday everyday player caliber that would be most likely to 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 get traded away this offseason? All right, my answer to that is going to be I think most likely is actually Randy. Second most likely is Diaz, and then least likely would be Lau. And here's kind of a little bit of my thinking on that. Brandon Lau, you know. People kind of talk about his name in the trade rumors. He's starting a little bit older. He's had maybe some injuries, some some decline in his game, you know, and his his contract is starting to get closer towards the end. The expenses are coming up. But here's the thing. Lau now is kind of at his lowest point trade value-wise that he has been in years. Um, The Rays don't typically really sell when guys are kind of on lows like this. And also, when you think about the construction of the Rays roster and what Eric Neander and Kevin Cash said when the season ended, they kind of mentioned two main areas that they thought they were lacking in. They thought they were lacking in the power department, and also that they didn't see the production from their left-handed hitters like they had expected. And what does Brandon Lau provide you? He's a left-handed hitter who hits for huge power. So he he slots into this lineup, like he represents the exact need of what the team was missing. And he still comes at a cheap price and his trade value is down. So it's sort of like a situation where, yeah, you might get some offers, but he's sort of like exactly kind of what you're looking for, like a buy low to kind of come in and interject some energy into this team. And I'll put it to you a different way. If Brendan Lau is on another team, doesn't he kind of feel like the guy that the Rays would be targeting to trade for, you know, like kind of a buy low left-handed slugger to, to come in. So that is kind of my reasoning for why I think I think he's definitely going to be here um, next year. So, so yeah, that's that's kind of my thoughts on um, on Brandon Lau. And then you know we just talked about a Rosarena, and and the reason why I guess I, I put a Rosarena ahead of Diaz on that hierarchy is because I think a Rosarena has more trade value. Um, he's younger, he has more years of control, and um, you know he he kind of can help you more on the defensive side of things than Yandy can. I don't doubt that they would listen on calls on Diaz, but I think that the uh, the Rays value him pretty highly. I don't know if he would get you a ton in a trade, kind of as a corner bat, um, you know, with a little bit of injury history of his own. Um, so I can and it's, see that. It's I, probably fair to say that, like, 2022 will be Yanni Diaz's best season. Yeah. I mean, like, odds are, right, that that, that probably just happened. So, yep, I'm, I'm kind of – in agreement there and that's that's at least my thoughts on the friend Lau situation and, and, and kind of the other two yeah Lau, it it would take like again i mean in and i i still have faith in brandon Lau, but what team is going to be you know banging your door down for 
a 29 year old second baseman with a bad back. Like, mm-hmm. All right. And, and we know the upside he has and right. on a cheap contract, like it, it just like, I'm not doubting that they would trade Brandon Lau at some point, but right now is not that time. It, the, the timing is not right. I, I agree with you there. Um, I, and, and I, it feels like there's going to be one quote unquote big trade this offseason by the Rays. But I don't know. Like, again, Diaz or Rosarena Lau, like, those are three all star caliber hitters that are very cheap. Like, even if a Rosarena goes to arbitration, you are not getting any of those players at that price on the open market. No way. No. And so, if you're, you're already going to be replacing a, a Gmon Choi. Uh, and a Mike Zanino and a, and a Kevin Kiermaier. Maybe they've already done that with Jose Sierra. Like, if you're already going to be replacing those guys, why am I going to try to rework three players that are we know what what they're capable of at a at, at free market value? Like, why am I going to try to dip into the free agent pool or the trade market to replace those guys? I mean, maybe you try to replace them with young guys. I kind of had that debate with Darby last week, but those guys are still very good. Like. You don't have to move him, and I don't know. I don't think the like Neander's not Jerry Depoto, right? Where he's just going to get trigger happy and and pull off all these trades. Uh, but I do worry that like they're going to just trade Yanni Diaz and hope Isak Paredes can be your everyday third baseman next year and 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 be good enough. And maybe he will be, but stick with your big league, you know, your proven big league guys. I, that's that's what I'd like to see. Bring in a couple more uh, and try to bolster this this offense. So. Now, we're going to take one more quick break, and on the other side, we're going to talk about the the upcoming roster crunch that Cole wrote about on DRaceBay.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I think um, I think kind of the way the team struggled on the offensive end at the end of the season uh, helps me answer this because Kevin Kiermaier and David Peralta, both are left-handed hitting outfielders. I think that's kind of an area of need and an area that they'll look to improve upon. But neither of those guys have, have great track records of hitting. Um, Peralta has hit right-handers well in the past. Um, and he was fine when he came to the Rays, but I just think that they're probably going to want to improve upon his production. Um, so, you know, as far as either of those guys go, also you take Kiermaier's farewell video into account and kind of everything around that. I think that they may just kind of look for some different, um, some new blood in, in that kind of those left-handed hitting outfield slots that they have. So, um, yeah, I don't know, you know, I don't know if I'd be, you know, too, too interested in, in bringing either of them back. Um, you know, in Kluber, I think he was very well respected and he performed very well over the course of the season. Um, but he almost, you know, he may have almost performed too well to the point where he, he might actually get himself a nice two-year deal or, or something heading into a, heading into free agency this year. So um, the Rays kind of like to fill that that veteran bulk role with kind of a one-year deal for a veteran. So I think maybe Kluber has pitched his way out of their price range. And also, um, you know, I, I remember you were talking about it on the last podcast. You don't really know when Father Time is going to get him. And one yeah. thing we do know is it will get him at some point. Um, so 
you know, I think that they may just kind of look to uh, to a different arm there. Um, and so that kind of leaves me with the, the, the last guy of, uh, of Zunino. And I do think uh, that he is probably the most likely of the four. And, I, if, you know, if I did work in the race front office, I would be interested in bringing him back. He balances the current catching situation well. Um, Zunino is a great defender. And the two guys the Rays have here currently in-house, um, I'll just say defense kind of isn't their strong points. And, um, you know, it's kind of nice to have have a, a steady force like Zanino back there. I know the, the clubhouse absolutely loves him. He's almost like another coach in the dugout. Um, and, you know, the only big question with him is uh, that thoracic outlet surgery and, and how much that's really going to affect him as a player. So, um, you know, if the Rays know his injury situation better than any team, um, and if, uh, if they think that he's going to be going to be good to go by spring training then yeah I'd, I'd definitely be interested in a reunion there but his market will be interesting what do you think that uh, a Mike Zanino contract is going to look like this uh this offseason I, I think it's really dependent on how healthy he is right and like you said mm-hmm. no other team knows it I I could see and, and, and catching is so hard because there's so few good ones ever available as a, as a free agent mm-hmm. I could see some demand I could see some demand, but I could also see like if the demand is not there, the reunion, mm-hmm. like like I don't see him taking a like a cheap deal somewhere else. Like because I think the Rays mm-hmm. would love to have him back. Like I don't see him taking right. a one year four million dollar deal somewhere else if he, if the Rays are also offering that. So yeah, the Rays are have, have been priced out of their catchers that have hit free agency before. You saw Travis Darno go to the Braves um, after his great run with the Rays. So. Who would you the like if Mike Zeno were to come back, which catcher do you think the Rays would would move on from or try to move on from? You know, I think as the season unfolded, the Rays actually really um really came to enjoy what what Christian Bethencourt was able to provide for them. He hit pretty well um after coming over. And I think they um they got a little more defensive value out of him than then they maybe the arm was great. He can throw runners out. Um, his uh, the numbers on his uh, pitch framing were way better with the Rays than they were with Oakland. So maybe they had some um, internal coaching there to help him um, on the receiving end of things. And um, yeah, I mean, as, as a hitter, you know, he has his warts. Um, you know, does he, he swings and miss misses a good fair amount, and he'll chase outside of the zone. But the guy's got power. I mean, he can hit the ball really hard. So I, you know, I, it really wouldn't surprise me at all if Bethencourt is back next year and. And uh, Mejia, I think, has almost kind of kind of fell into a backup role by the end of the uh, the year. Bethencourt caught um, he started both the postseason games against tough right-handers uh, for the Rays, and I think that he kind of uh, he kind of edged out Mejia uh, when it was all said and done there. Um, and also, I think just kind of from an upside perspective, I don't really know where Mejia can kind of go up from here. Like, if Mejia were to improve, like, where's that really going to come from? Like. You know, we've seen him for two years now. Is he suddenly going to get a boost in, in the power department? Or, you know, it, it kind of doesn't seem like they've been able to help him on his chasing issue. The guy is just a crazy free swinger. So, um, you know, and now that he's entering arbitration, it wouldn't, I don't think it would shock me if the uh, the ultimate decision is to move on from Mejia, keep Bethencourt as your bat first catcher, and then acquire a veteran catcher to pair with him. And maybe a Mike Zanino. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, moving on to the, the guys on the 60 day injury. So like, I, I think if I'm, yeah, I agree with you. Zanino would be the only one you consider, but moving into the guys on the 60 day injured list, there's seven of them. And this is kind of that, that first deadline. Like the Rays will have to make some roster moves. 
um, and do so pretty quickly once the season ends, once the World Series wraps up. So they have seven players currently on the 60-day IL. Nick Anderson, Shane Boz, J.P. Fireisen, Andrew Kittredge, Brandon Lau, Brendan McKay, and Ryan Thompson. Now, some of these guys, like uh, Shane Boz and Andrew Kittredge, uh, will be re-added to the 60-day IL once, I think, spring training starts. They can move them back or... Yes, I believe so. Sometime in February or March, they can be added back to the 60-day IL to open up a roster spot. Uh, but during the offseason, they've, they've got to be one of your 40. You can't just stash them on the 60-day IL and have an extra spot, uh, even though they're not going to be playing at all in 2023. So there's a few of those guys on there. Um, and, and two you mentioned specifically in the article, Nick Anderson and Brendan McKay, that it just feels like their time with the Rays is up. And and, and how do the like do you just do you just cut them loose? How does that work? Do you DFA them, non-tender them? Like how does that work to to create the roster space or to avoid having to add them back to the forty man? Yeah, the Rays are the Rays are in a tough spot because, uh, like you said, the, the current roster is at 38, so there's two open spots um, because Corey Kluber and David Peralta will not be on it. So they can, and then and they've got seven guys on the on the 60 days, so two of them can can get on with you know with no roster movement. Um, but then it's kind of like every additional player you want to add, you know, there has to be has to be a cut somewhere. So. The uh, kind of the question is, do you even add all seven of them, right? Because why cut a guy off your current 40 if you don't think one of these other guys is better who's replacing him? So, um, yeah, I, I, I mentioned McKay and I mentioned Anderson. Um, and both of them have, have had success in this organization before. Anderson especially uh, was an awesome um, trade acquisition at the time that they got him. But at this point, um, Anderson has – he did pitch this year. Um, he He's come off of – off of his injury, but he just doesn't look like the same guy. He actually never even pitched in the big leagues. Um, when his 60 day time was up and the Rays had to make a decision on him, they just optioned into AAA and he just finished out the year there. And then I think they just kind of gave him like a break, like a, a rest at the, at the end of the year and they just shut him down. So I don't know if, um, if I see really a future in this organization with them, uh, with either of them, McKay is just, he recently just underwent Tommy John on top of all of his other injury situations. So, so yeah, five days after the world series ends, the Rays are going to have to make the decision on these guys. And, um, and I don't know if, uh, I don't know if those two will be technically in the plans. So yeah, like you said, as far as the logistics of it, um, when that deadline comes, they might just opt to, uh, to release them or, or DFA them instead of adding them. So, you know, but one thing is if they do like the player and they do think they're, they're working hard, I, I wonder if the Rays would be interested on adding either one of them on a minor league deal um, if they, in fact, are not added to the 40-man roster. To, to continue their rehab and... Mm-hmm. And, and Brendan McKay, like he came back and then got hurt like right away again. Like it's right. and maybe they bring that. him back as just a hitter. Maybe they say, mm-hmm. all right, yeah. you're not going to pitch for us anymore. Again, I don't see a path to the big leagues mm-hmm. for him like that anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an option, right? Like you get to continue yeah. playing pro baseball. Right. Yeah, they, they've done things like that before, offering guys minor league deals, bringing guys back. I believe um, – Two off seasons ago, they actually outrighted Kittredge off the forty man roster. Yeah, brought him brought him back on a minor league deal, and he had a fantastic season as a reliever for the Rays. Became an all star, so, exactly. Yeah, all star season. So they, they, you know, the Rays when when they appreciate what a player offers and their work ethic, and and they they like having a guy around the clubhouse, they'll they'll find ways to uh, to bring guys back if it makes sense. So before this 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 deadline in early November, 
I mean, who 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 are the guys like that are on the chopping block to add those? I, I, I'm guessing. I don't know. I'll throw a couple names out. Like on the outfield group, Bly Madras and Roman Quinn probably don't have a great chance of surviving. Not only this deadline, but the, then the the Rule Five deadline when you've got to add those prospects. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree with you on on Madras and Quinn. Um, I just don't think either of them really have the impact that that warrants a spot at this point. It's it's just going to get real tight, you know. So you got to believe in the forty guys that you've got. Um, reliever Jimmy Yacobonis is another guy who I don't see lasting very long into this offseason. The Rays already DFA'd him once during the season, um, and he didn't go claimed. So um, you know, another another player from the outfield group, Luke Rayleigh. Um, no options Rays, left on him, right? Exactly. Yeah. So I think they actually kind of are intrigued by Rayleigh. They they opted to keep him on the major league roster over Josh Lowe at one point last season, mm-hmm. which tells you a little bit behind their thinking. But like you said, there's no options next year. And how much how much value does a player really have for the Rays? Um, you know, a fringe player like that with no options. So um yeah, that's that's kind of uh I'm kind of on the same page as you there. And then once you get to and I guess we can look ahead to to the rule five and uh, Daniel also wrote another great article about that on D-Rays Bay. You can kind of look ahead to see, okay, the prospects that they might look to add. Curtis Mead, Taj Bradley, Colby White. Like, those are the guys that I'm, like, almost positive will get added. And then you look at Xavier Edwards, Greg Jones, Heriberto Hernandez, maybe Oslavis Basabe. Um, that, that seems like that probably, I don't think, maybe Cameron Misner, too. Um, I'm just looking at the 40 man. I mean, any pitchers that, that might not, that are currently on the 40 man that might not, other than Yaka bonus, like, do you, do you look at a, a Ryan Yarbrough? I think probably is not going to be back. Miles Mastroboni. I'm going back to the infielders. I know he's got options left. It was kind of his first go of things this year. He got a cup of coffee. Uh, but really no path to big league playing time for, for Master Boney. And, and then you get into some of the harder cuts, like like I mentioned, a Ryan Yarbrough or a G-Mon Troy. Um, guys that y- y- you just don't see cutting. Maybe Vidal Brujan maybe gets close even because he's going to be out of options next year. And now they could also trade these guys, but if there's no interest, if, if, if you're kind of showing your hand, right, like, Right before the Rule Five deadline, if you're offering Gmon Troy and trying to get prospects, that team knows like you're you're probably about to non-tender or DFA Gmon Troy. We'll just bring him in on a on a minor league deal or a very small major league deal. Right. Yeah, they're going to have some tough cuts. Um, that kind of that second round, like you talked about. I think that they'll they'll be okay this first round when they have to add the sixty day guys. I think they can make it work um, without any big trades or anything like that. But then the Rule Five, like you talked about. Um, that's kind of where the tougher decisions are going to come in. And I also agree with you, kind of the way you tiered the prospects. Um, I do kind of look at it the same, whereas those three, Bradley, Mead, and White, I think are essentially locks to be added. And then after that, it's kind of a, it's kind of a lot of question marks. Um, yeah, so, you know, we'll see the direction they go. I mean, last year, I believe they added uh, five prospects um, at, at, for the Rule 5 draft. So, you know, that kind of gives you a, a gauge of about how many they are comfortable with. So, um, so yeah, but like you said, if they add five again, that's, that's five whole spots that have to go off. And, um, you know, another, another kind of situation I'm looking at, um, 
is on the, the relief pitching side, you've got a couple of names here that are guys who are out of options. Javi Guerra, Sean Armstrong, and JT Chagua come to mind. Um, the Rays opted to uh, take Guerra and Armstrong on the postseason roster, and they left Chagua off. Um, all of these are kind of like hard-throwing right-handers. Um, you know, they may kind of see them as expendable. So maybe Chagua is a guy they're not as high on, and he's also entering arbitration. Maybe we see, um, you know, see them move on there. So, so yeah, I think that uh, I think we'll see some movement and. Um, and you know, there's going to be some uh, some small deals like like we saw last year. I believe before the Rule Five draft last year, the Rays made um, some small trades, sending Mike Brasso out, mm -hmm. Lewis Head out, Brent Honeywell Jr. Um, kind of just some some roster maintenance, some small deals, things like that. I'd expect a lot of those again. Out of the group of, I'll I'll, I'll just make this group up. So we'll say Ryan Yarbrough, Gmon Choi, and Vidal Bruhan, who are you got Yarbrough and Choi, who have been with the team for about four years now. Bruhan, he's been a top prospect for a while now, part of that, that group of prospects that was supposed to come up this year. Any chance that one or maybe even two of those three aren't, are gone like as soon as the season ends to make room for these 60-day IL guys? I think with that group in particular, um, because Choi and Yarbrough have been here so long and they have major league success under their belt. Those might be examples of the guys that actually survive this kind of first wave of cuts just to see if the Rays can find a deal for, for one of these veterans. Bruhan too, I think is still above that like DFA threshold. I think he would carry some value in, in the trade if you have to move him for a lower level prospect or something. Um, so, so maybe those are guys that, that if they can find deals for them, yeah, I can see it happening, but I, I think they'll just straight up cut um, different players before, gotcha. before they get into that tier. At least that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. Um, Bruhan in particular is interesting to me though, because we're really going to get a sense on if, 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 you know, how much the Rays believe in him at this point, um, because there yeah. are sort of a lot of players either on the roster or that need to be added to the roster who are similar types of, uh, the utility athletic players who Edwards. have question marks about their bat. Xavier Edwards, Basabe, um, you know, Greg Jones is, is an infield prospect. Um, you know, you know, which which guys near Miles Mastroboni, which of these guys are they going to commit to? You know, who are they going to bet on and who are they going to ship out? At this point, I, I really couldn't tell you. There's a lot of names and I don't know who they're going to go with, but that'll be an interesting area to watch. For sure. For sure. Well, Cole, thank you for, for coming on today, raising your voice about, about this this 40-man roster. Again, some of these moves get lost in the wave of all, all the fun uh, you know, free agent signings and trades that'll go down. We mentioned, you know, maybe a, a Randy Rosarena trade or, you know, Yanni Diaz trade. And there will certainly be talk of that throughout the offseason. But like you said, roster maintenance comes first. And as as like a roster nerd, I, I, I enjoy this aspect of it. Like I enjoy seeing, you know, like you said, how the Rays evaluate players and who they think has a chance to have a, an impact at the big league level, you know, next year and in the coming year. So, Cole, thank you for uh, your time today. Yeah, thanks so much. Always a pleasure, Brett. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. If you like what we do on the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network, make sure to subscribe or follow on your preferred podcast platform so that every new episode from the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network, whether it be Raise Your Voice or Who's On Worse, we'll have more Who's On Worse now that we're all in the off season. Uh, they'll be downloaded directly to your device. So thank you guys for listening. And as always, head on over to DRaysBay.com to check out all of the great off-season coverage 
I'll talk to you guys next week.